all right? We're here, the season of Advent, hope. Today, that's going to be the theme of my sermon. It's so good to be together, church, today. Uh, how many of y'all have decorated already, unlike Tina? I, we have decorated already. My wife was so excited because this is going to be our first Christmas with our little boy, Ishmael, our own little baby. Uh, we are so excited to receive the gifts that you guys are going to send him, and uh, I'm going to be playing with it over the Christmas season, and uh, that will be my vacation. Um, and so Pastor Mike is on a break today, and uh, it's just uh, so good to be led by him and his, his, uh, his leadership and ministry and life and family. And so we bless them as they uh, take a break as a family today. Um, and uh, yeah, pray that uh, they'd come back next week so that I don't have to preach uh, again. Not that I uh, take it for granted, but um, he, I, he is a well-seasoned preacher and uh, he's probably way better at it than so. <laughs> but uh, it's so good to be together. How many of y'all are... Are, are, are thankful that you get a day off today and you and you we you you and I get to worship together in the house of God today it is so good we just did our worship night uh, last uh, Sunday night and uh, it's our second one with the youth and we're getting the hang of it you know kids are jumping up and down sweating for Jesus singing the songs that that honor God and and it's just so good for all of us and so this season is so good especially for me because as we light the candle of hope as we light this 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 uh, this candle it starts it sparks a a, a thing in my heart that kind of just warms me up for the season warms me up for the for the for the reason of this season um, there's a lot to to unpack here the story of hope has so many things involved, so many people involved. And uh, we're going to look at the responses that they've had once they, were, uh, they heard the good news, the reflections, whether they obeyed uh, the, the uh, pronouncement, the, the blessing, the word of God, his instruction, or whether they kind of, like most of us, step back a little bit and get scared. Uh, and... Um, God is going to show up. That's the hope of this Advent season. And in the midst of all this, God is going to show up in impossible situations to help us in our times of fear and doubt, times of disobedience, times of darkness. He will show the great light. And so the question I have in the beginning of the sermon is, what happens when what we expected changes and the life that we had hoped for kind of begins to crumble, begins to disappoint? Sometimes it's as simple as, oh, things are not the same. Even in church life, you know, sometimes friends leave. Sometimes things don't turn out to be. We don't have the same people anymore. We don't have the same friends. We don't have the same closeness. Sometimes even in the way the church grows, expectation changes. In your familiar uh, lives, in, in your family life, Tina was right, this season kind of brings either a big 
amount of anticipation, expectation, joy, or it reminds you of, of someone missing in the picture. How do we have hope in this season of Advent? When our expectations doesn't line up with what we want to feel, what we want to see. And so this is what we celebrate. It is a time of great anticipation as we look back to Jesus, humble first coming. The significance of hope in the birth of Jesus. And then we're going to look at John, the birth of John, the prophecy about them. More so, I want to focus today uh, the sermon on Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're the couple that would bring about the John the Baptist, the herald of the Lord, the one who would identify this person that we have been waiting for, this baby, this Jesus. And in all of this, we realize that real hope isn't just saying things like, I hope it works out. Instead, I believe that God will accomplish his purposes accordingly. This is what we see in the story as we begin. And so we're going to look at Luke's gospel today. Luke is the author. He was the part of the synoptic gospels, the, the similar gospels to Matthew and Mark. He was... Uh, an account that was, was later composed, and he was a physician. He was kind of this uh, person who is technical in, in the way the law and the, uh, the training of the day professionally. He is the person who brings us this orderly account. Luke is also easy to understand, and that shows us that God is wanting us to, to get the message of the gospel. And so we're going to focus on Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. The problem arises because the people that, the, the, people that, the couple that God chose to bring about John the Baptist are well along in years. In other words, they're, they're, they're old. And if, if you work in the healthcare system, you know that biology doesn't go back. It just moves forward. And so they don't have the means. You can't even get a pill back in the day. And so it just won't work. And yet God has a plan. How many of y'all believe that? God has a plan. Job 42, 6, God's plans cannot be thwarted, cannot be stopped. So I want to talk about the context of, of, of this season. As I talked about in Isaiah, that was actually predicting the, it was, it was the prophecy about the context of the day, what, what, what is going to be happening. The, the people of God, the Jewish people would go, they would have the season of silence where God would not speak for so many years. 
and then they would be conquered by the Romans. There would be so many, uh, so many, uh, so many rules that that would that would oppress them in in a sense, and the Jewish people would try to revolt, and they would try to continue to live lives according to their own expectation, according to even God's word, and and so. Basically, there is a lot of things going on. Like, imagine if, you know, if, if the liberals and the Democrats have had ten times the power that they have today. The Roman rule was that. They were producing the Roman peace, Pax Romana. And yet you have to do everything according to the Roman rule. You have to have other gods. You have to have, you have to worship other things. You have to, you have to... Uh, live according to the customs of the day. And so that's the context of the first century when Zechariah and Elizabeth gets a visitation from the angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This is all heard by Zechariah in the temple as the angel appeared to him, and he, his response is what? In fear. He was terrified. You know, sometimes whenever God gives us something significant and clear direction, a word from God. Sometimes it scares us. And we're going to see why that is in the story. How we should respond. You see, um, they are part of the priesthood. Zechariah, Elizabeth, part of the priestly line. All the way dating back to Aaron uh, in the time of Moses. That is their lineage, that is their uh, part of their job really, is to, is to be serving the people between, between God and the people of God, the Jewish people. And once a year, they would have the opportunity to go to the temple, burn the incense, and, and, ha and do that for, for a whole week. And they would be praying, the priests would be praying outside during that time, hoping that they would get a fresh word from God. Remember, there has been about four generations, 400 years of, of just silence, of God not speaking through the prophets, through his servants. And so, in a way, the religious people, their leaders are actually desperate for a word from God. And now God shows up. God has a plan. But for Zechariah and Mary, this, this has been a huge dilemma. Because in such an honor, 
shame culture. I know this because I, I grew up in, in the Philippines, and it, I grew up in that system as well, honor and shame. You know, after Christmas, before Christmas, people are inviting you for feasts. We would feast for two to three weeks of, of, of just, yeah, fiestas, fiestas, about Christmas season, about everything. And so uh, we, you would be eating for two to three weeks and be gaining weight. And you know what happens after all of that? New Year comes and, and people, your friends, your family are going to call you out on how much calories you've gained. You're looking fat today. It's time to exercise. And so I just think it's kind of funny, but it's also an honor-shame culture. Whatever you do, whatever you don't have, whatever, whatever is lacking in your life, there has to be a reason for that. Shame. And so for them, being in the line of priests, and, and the, you know, verse 6 says that uh, they were honoring to God. They were righteous in the sight of God. And for them not to have any children, it was a shame. And yet, God gives him the opportunity to be the priest who goes into the temple and receives this vision. And more than that, there's a miracle that God is about to do in their lives. Do you have dilemmas in your life? How many of you today carry something that we're ashamed of and yet have no control of what happens in that reality? Do you have children who walked away from the Lord who you don't know if they'll ever return back to Him? Whether they'll be home again. Are you dreading the season because there are broken realities in your life that you don't feel like you have the means to reconcile? See, Zechariah and Elizabeth's dilemma is right there, is real life stuff, infertility. And we're going to see that they'll be tested. How in the world would they continue in the plans God has for them when deep inside they're thinking, it's impossible, it's too late. The doubt sets in. For Zechariah, of course. And yet God has a plan. Zechariah and Elizabeth, like so many Old Testament characters, have meaningful names. Zechariah means the Lord remembers Elizabeth's name means God's promise or God's oath, meaning that God has promised something. And so there's, there's, there's an expectation to it. And so look, just looking at the meanings of their names, it's an affirmation of faith, foreshadowing that there's hope in the story here, that there's still fuel in the tank. And so it's telling us, don't give up. Keep waiting, keep praying. God is about to do something. What are the dilemmas in your life that you need God to step into? If you like me, sometimes I wake up 2 a.m. in the morning, cannot go back to sleep. Let's suppose that next time that happens to you, uh, you go to the kitchen and turn on the light and find an angel standing and calls you by name, just a huge angel, Zechariah. Would you treasure that moment? Would you run in fear? Would you respond in obedience from the angel of the Lord? What would you say? What do you think he would say? Would you freak out like everyone else in the Bible? Because every single one of them, including the Old Testament, they were, they were in fear. Here's Zechariah's response. Verse 18. How can I know this? 
Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Good word for Zechariah because well along in years, that's what he used for his wife. He didn't say she's old too, you know. He didn't mind the self-deprecation there, but anyways, that's a little side comment. Uh, verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. He did come out. He could not speak to them. Then we realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. How does Zechariah respond to this lifetime opportunity, this divine moment? Zechariah didn't believe it. He had been praying without conviction. Imagine he was in the presence of God. So there's a problem here. He did not believe that God would answer his fervent prayers. After 400 years, this is your response? Waiting for a word from God? This is fresh, new, miraculous vision? And so he was looking at the size of his problems and not the size of his God. What about you today? Do you have big problems? Here's the truth. Even a righteous man can pray with no sense of expectation for God to do what he can do. Anticipation for God to move. This is something that's so huge for us. For us people of God, for us people of faith, for us who, who are ministering to people. We got to have hope. We got to have big expectations for God to move. Otherwise... What do we have about to preach today? If we don't believe that God can do what he can do. It is possible that we're so used to the hopelessness, the lack of progress, the unchanging realities of our problems, the weight of guilt and shame, that when God shows up and echoes the plans and the solutions and the hope that is actually spoken in his word, we can't help but fall back in defeat. Here's another truth. Zechariah seems to be conflating the idea that to solve his problem of biology, he needs to be the one to have the means and the plans and the powers to solve his problem. When God is saying that it is, it is not based on your own means, plans, and abilities, when God moves, his plans cannot be thwarted. God speaks his word, and his word cannot possibly go back to him void. And so he's conflating the idea that I have to have the means where he should be trusting the word God has spoken to him. His power is too great. His mind has thought out all the possibilities. He has determined that even... Even if it takes hundreds of thousands of possibilities of orchestrating things, different moments, different people, to accomplish his plan of bringing salvation to a people who are desperate for God, God is going to accomplish 
all of that. He is able to do the impossible. And so the question I have for you today is, did you come here today with an expectation for God to do something in your life? This Advent season of waiting and, and, and praying and hoping for God to move, let the Word of God encourage you today that He is indeed the person who has a plan, that He is indeed the God who sees you in your family. He is indeed orchestrating things, people, events, and moments so that His plans and purposes can begin to take place in your life. What is your expectation of God today? The story moves forward. Verse 23. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah in disbelief, Elizabeth in full trust, God is going to do something. So her response is way better. Her response is what we should emulate today. This is an example that we want to, to copy as we hope and wait for the Lord to do something in our midst. It is so fitting that John's name in Greek means the Lord has been gracious. The child that they were going to be given that would identify the true Messiah His name means the Lord has been gracious. And her response lines up with the name of John. It's, it's amazing. There is hope. The impossible story moves forward. And so we're going to skip the part that Mary had there and, and uh, focus on Zechariah. And so we move forward to verse 57. Of course, there's going to be preaching on that probably this Advent season as well. And so um, the story moves forward for Elizabeth, Zechariah, verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her his great mercy and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. They were all amazed, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Wow, what is your response? What is our response to God's work today? For the people there, this shows the better path, the better response. They took it to heart. But then will this child become? Seven months ago, I thought about that when my son was born. Being a newly, you know, fresh uh, and uh, just, yeah, a father myself. I wonder about that. I don't know what he will become. Hopefully good. 
Hopefully someone like John, as, 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 as um, Zechariah is going to prophesy today at the end of the passage. But all of our hopes and dreams, God asks us to respond in a way that would actually help us get to that expectation, to that hope, to that future. And so what is your response today? Because it doesn't mean that things will be perfect. We're in reality. Your problems won't go away just because you responded well. There's still things that you have to deal with. But instead, God is going to use what is lacking in our lives, the problems that we experience. So that's the difference. So he can show up and show you and show others that there is a better path, that there is more meaning to life than just the mundane day-to-day. The customs and practices of the day won't win the day. It's God's path we need to take. Everyone was amazed as they realized this. How did the people respond? Amazing. They respond with fear of the Lord. This is a fear that is beginning to know something about God. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But realize that we, we have this fear of the Lord as we begin to look to Him this season. And this fear is nothing short of the glory that is being revealed before us. God is awesome. God is great. God is the one who is able. And so finally, Zechariah believes and obeys the word of the Lord, and the whole entire region shakes with fear. Everyone's talking about this. The neighbors, the whole region, the 400 years of silence is beginning to end. God is speaking again. The political wars that they've experienced, the religious ruin being controlled by the Romans, now finally people's hope is beginning to rise as God shows up powerfully through the life of a barren couple who love God. So it calls us today to belong to God, to love God. God moves in the lives of his people when we respond properly to his work. So what then? So we begin this Advent season. What's the big deal? What does a miracle for an old couple accomplish in this story? What does it accomplish for us? My answer is everything that has to do with God's plan, bringing the promised Messiah, the prophesied Savior of the world, the significance of John the Baptist that was going to be birthed out of this couple, who is the prophesied herald of the Lord. Malachi 3.10 if not for the gracious, merciful act of God to speak again, to orchestrate things to happen, we would not have John who would grow up to be the one to prepare the hearts and minds of the people about the coming Savior. John would grow up to be a righteous, God-honoring man who would be the one to identify and point people to the one true Messiah. Imagine, just imagine today as we reflect on it. Imagine if we got the wrong Jesus because John 
identified the wrong guy? What if, what if he was drinking and living an immoral life and, and he chose Judas to be the Messiah? <laughs> just imagine, this is just my mind thinking about this, but it's, there's significance to this. Imagine if John messed up. If he failed in his mission, because imagine, because you know, you and I know, is it theological truth that God orchestrates these things? He empowers us to do it, but we we move forward through His grace by obedience. That's why the Word is asking us to respond in a proper way today. And so there's this there's this sovereignty of God and responsibility of of of, of His people to partner with Him. What if John did not do what he was supposed to do? Imagine if he failed in his mission, how the cycle of silence and darkness would perpetually leave us to our own devices for generations to come. John is one of, if not the most important character in the story, besides Jesus, of course. Even in Matthew's account, Jesus said of John that among those born of women, none was greater than John the Baptist. Everyone who was ever born up until that point, no one was greater than John the Baptist. Half-cousin of Jesus who would grow up kind of in the same time and point to him. So John was great. But you know who is even greater? That John would reflect on the suffering servant Jesus. And he would say that I'm not even worthy take off his sandals we get to Zechariah's prophecy then verse 67 then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied blessed is the Lord the God of Israel because he has visited and provided redemption for his people he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David just as he spoke about The mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of their sins, because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness, the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a beautiful prophecy of the life of John the significance of his life in the future. Team, would you come lead us in a song? The question today is, what is your response today? As we look forward to the good news of the hope that is coming for you and me, will it be faith and belief? Will it be doubt and fear? Remind us today that God accomplished in John a new understanding of the new covenant. The Israelites equated salvation with political deliverance. John was to give them a new understanding of salvation. 
enemy is within, not without. They were looking at the political, the Romans. That is our enemy. John would point to the one who saves them from their sin and tells them, yeah, the enemy is actually living inside of us. It's the sin. It's darkness. And here's the light. Here's the solution. The coming of the one who is worthy. This season of Advent gives us so much anticipation. So much hope in the waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, the King who would serve as a suffering servant and die on the cross to give us spiritual life. That life is available today. So if you came here for the first time, I encourage you to reflect on it. To discover the one who is the solution to your sin problem. Discover Jesus in the season of Advent. Waiting in hope. Looking to the Messiah, Jesus, our only hope in this dark world. Would you respond in belief and faith? You can do that today. You can start a relationship with Jesus, you know. We can have that conversation after the service over here if you want to. If you are a believer in the Lord, you call yourself a Christian, your hope in the Lord, even if there are things in your life that seems to be dragging you down this season, there might be disappointments in your life. Continue to hope. Continue to pray. Continue to anticipate that God will show up because he will. But remember, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, keep hoping and praying that God will show up because he wants to show up in your life. Not based on your problems, but based on him who's able to do the impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together, look at your people, see how they responded, see how they failed at times, see how they were able to move forward because you are the one empowering them, giving them grace to be able to really do the impossible, to deal with the sin problem. I thank you that you've saved us from that. And as we anticipate you coming as a baby, Lord, I pray that our hope will be burning in our hearts and we will treasure this season as we wait week after week to the coming of the Messiah child. Thank you for him. Thank you for your work today. Lead us, empower us to be your people this week. To be the light in the world as you have called us. As you are the light in our darkness. We thank you and reflect on this Advent reality. In Jesus' name, amen.